Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Garrett Marino returning from his four-game suspension with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Andrew Harris possibly being out for the rest of the season. Chris Strevler's performance in the NFL preseason. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers breaking my heart and suffering their first loss of the 2022 season. And sideline reporter Sarah Orleski departing the CFL on TSN. But first. Bo Levi Mitchell tore a strip off his team following the Stampeders 41-40 loss to the BC Lions, calling their performance in the second half effing terrible. Adding, quote, everybody was terrible. And I'm not saying I was good. Everybody out there, close quote. Is Bo Levi right to be so angry about Calgary's defeat? I mean, I, I get Bo's frustration, right? He said this right after the game. Emotions were running high. And and it's true that the Stampeders did not have their best game in the second half. Um, that being said, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I'm just not convinced that this Calgary Stampeders team is that great, right? They got, they got a couple of very team-friendly bounces in the first half. They got the two picks. You know, I, I, I thought those might be more due to Nathan Rourke's mental errors with the three front that, that Calgary had put in more so than just amazing playmaking ability from Calgary's defense. They got the big return from, from Peyton Williams, which, which to his credit, Bolivar Levi Mitchell singled Peyton out and said, okay, that was a great return. But at the end of the day, I, I just think that, you know, this is sour grapes for Bolivar Mitchell to an extent, because I think it's clear at this point, the Calgary Stampeders are the third best team in the West division. And I don't know how you can make an argument against that. It, the clear reality here is that Bo Levi Mitchell got outplayed. The reason why they lost in that game is because the offense completely collapsed in the second half. I don't think the Calgary offense right now anywhere is that that good. They've got a strong offensive line. They've got a good running game, even without Kadeem Carey. But from a passing perspective, they've got two big-name receivers that haven't stepped up to the plate in Reggie Begleton and Kamar Jordan. And Bo Levi Mitchell is not playing as well as we saw him sort of flash us at the start of the season. And he got outdueled by the youngster in Nathan Rourke, who went out there, had some early mistakes, but turned it on basically from the second quarter on and had another record-setting performance for a Canadian quarterback. And there is just this air of inevitability about the BC Lions right now when they step on the field for a drive that he's going to lead them down the field to a score. He is so on point, and when he's in rhythm, like he was at the end of the game, it's hard to imagine anyone stopping him. We don't have that same feeling about Bo Levi Mitchell right now. That's the storyline coming out of this game for me. Mitchell can be as angry as he wants to be, but he needs to look in the mirror and play better football. Yes, 
the Calgary Stampeders receivers have dropped a bunch of passes. But when you look at the sheer numbers in terms of completions, touchdowns, interceptions, yards, points, in terms of what Mitchell has generated for his offense compared to Rourke, it's not even close. Rourke is head, shoulders, knees, and maybe even feet above any other quarterback in the league right now. And in my mind, that's where the frustration is coming from with Mitchell. He's used to being the top dog, and now there's a new kid on the block, and it's a new feeling for him overall. We should say he did praise Rourke leading into the game, but I got to take issue, Haji, and disagree with you here a little bit because the Stampeders are three possessions away from being unbeaten and beating the Winnipeg Blue Bombers twice and BC. They lost by one point of field goal, obviously, at the end of the game with that Sean White kick. So I think Calgary's in the mix here. And if they can get it together down the stretch and make those plays at the critical times that we're used to seeing from Mr. Bo Levi Mitchell, then there's a possibility Calgary could be in the mix. I will agree with you in the sense that right now you can't make that argument because they've been beaten by both the Bombers twice in games that went back and forth and were ultimately one possession decisions and they collapsed against the Lions. So in my mind, that's where the frustration is coming from with Mitchell is usually in the past, at least he makes those plays. He closes out ball games and we know that from his win-loss record that is an all-time best percentage in the league yeah i'm not ruling out the calgary stampeders for the rest of the year i i think they could absolutely make noise in the west division playoffs right now the trouble is they're going to have to do it on the road in the west semi and on the road in the west final barring a collapse from winnipeg or BC because the Stamps have already lost the season series to Winnipeg and they've stubbed their toe in the first game against the BC Lions they've had. To me, I know that there were some people who are making excuses for the Calgary Stampeders saying, oh, well, Sean Bain got cramps and Richie Sandani got hurt and, and, and Jalen Philpott got hurt. To me, if you've got Reggie Bagleton and Kamar Jordan on the field, you're one, two receivers. Yes, I know Malik Henry was already hurt. You got your one, you got your two you close your mouth, you go out there, and you win the game. And I think JC was right to levy some criticism at Bagleton and at Kamar Jordan because, let's be quite honest, those players have not been the impact players that they were supposed to be. A lot of Reggie Bagleton's production hasn't even come down the field. First of all, he doesn't have a lot of production, but a lot of his production is not down the field. He almost The way they use him almost reminds me a little bit of how the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are utilizing key and shape for Baker. There's a lot of underneath stuff, some quick hits, which is not traditionally how we've seen Reggie Bagleton make his money in the CFL. Traditionally, he's down the field, mossing defensive backs and making catches in tough spots, contested catches. I've not seen him make enough contested catches. And until the Calgary Stampeders figure out how to get the most out of those two receivers, I remain skeptical that this offense that, in fairness, does run the ball very well. I remain skeptical as to how this offense is going to close out games because right now they are not nearly good enough through the year. My concern with the Stampeders is that they're going in the opposite direction from some of their competition, right? You look at the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and they have not been great the last few weeks, right? There's not a lot to love about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders right now, but they're getting healthier, Right, They're getting bodies back along that defensive line that was so good to start the season with Pete Robertson and A.C. Leonard 
nearing a return, Garrett Marino coming back from suspension, and then you've got the potential of someone like Kyran Moore in the receiving core coming back. They're getting healthier, which will probably result in more wins. The Calgary Stampeders are suffering a number of serious injuries right now that have just begun. And as we saw in that game, you note some of the excuses that were made about that receiving core. Well, those are long-term problems, right? They're going to have to deal with that going forward. And if they are putting more guys on the injured list while a team that's nipping at their heels, I mean, right now it's it's simply a game in hand that's separating the Calgary Stampeders from the Saskatchewan Roughriders for that third play playoff spot in the west division if that injury list issue doesn't clear up and they don't get some healthy bodies or some replacements aren't able to step up then the stampeders could be in real trouble well they're gonna make the playoffs one way or another because the edmonton Alex are terrible so we got to get to this real quick because i know hodge likes to keep it moving but public service announcement all right Go out and buy a ticket. I don't care if you're cheering against the BC Lions, but you need to watch Nathan work if you're a fan of football anywhere on the planet, to be quite honest. Go out, buy a ticket. If you can't get to the game and you're not living in a city near Canada, then turn on the TV because you need to see what this kid is doing. It's an all-time special season that he's putting together, and he ain't going to be here very long. He has an NFL window in his contract, just like every player in the CFL now, and NFL talent evaluators have gone from sitting up in their chair to paying attention very closely. He's going to have, by all accounts, multiple offers and potentially choose the most ideal situation for him in terms of the quarterback depth chart in the NFL after this season in the CFL. So go out, buy a ticket, get to the stadium if you can. But if not, you need to tune in. That game the Lions against Calgary was the third highest rated game of the week somehow. And it was the most entertaining by a country mile. That barn burner will go down as a classic this season. And one of the signature comebacks of Rourke's what seems likely to be MLP season. So go out and watch this kid while he's playing in Canada. On that note, I, I just want to add one thing. There was a kick out here in Vancouver a couple years ago by the name of Alfonso Davies. Like, I'm not a soccer guy, but when he was playing for the Whitecaps and there was all this buzz about him potentially going to Bayern Munich and all the things he could do in the future, I always told myself, I'm going to go see him live at least once. You know, I don't like soccer, but I've got to see this kid at least once, and I never did. I'm going to regret that for the rest of my life because there's no way I'm going to be able to see Alfonso Davies for that affordable of price points anytime soon now that he's one of the best players in the world at his position Nathan Rourke here is very similar you have to go out and see him because that's part of what's great about sports to be a part of the hype to be a part of the story to be able to tell your kids and your grandkids well I was there when he did this and I saw him before he was you know the thing that everyone was talking about Go out and see him now because you'll regret it just like I regret not getting out to see Alfonso Davies back in the day. Yeah, I'm a little salty that the BC Lions don't come to Winnipeg until week 21. Hopefully, hopefully, Mr. Rourke is still under center at that point and not resting for the playoffs. 
Riders defensive lineman Garrett Marino spoke to the media after completing his four-game suspension, publicly addressing his low hit on Jeremiah Masoli for the first time. He said he regretted the incident and would love to personally apologize to Masoli, but has not yet done so. He also declined to address the racial language directed at Mazzoli during the game. Did Marino's comments change the way you feel about the incident? No, they don't change the way I feel about the incident at all. To me, even if he's genuinely remorseful at this point, it's it's too little too late. You, you haven't spoken to the media in five weeks because he had the four-week suspension and there was a buy in there. So he's had time to craft whatever fake apology that he wants. Uh, and then he goes out there and uh, everyone's watching him like a hawk while he talks to the media for a first time, concerned over what he might say. To me, Garrett Marino has zero credibility at this point. And the fact that he says he has not yet reached out to Jeremiah Mazzoli but would love to... I mean, you can reach out to anyone in this day and age. I could reach out to Jeremiah Mazzoli if I wanted to and talk to him. There is no excuse for Garrett Marino not apologizing to him personally. He has every avenue to do so, both privately and through his team uh, and the Red Blacks organization. And and right now, um, I just simply don't buy anything that he's selling now he's going to get back on the field this week and i'm sure he's going to have an impact right he's a talented player he's going to be a factor in their game against the bc lions instantly but for me anything he accomplishes the rest of this season is going to be soured by that incident and i think rightfully so Definitely. There's nothing that he can say to change what happened and what he did in that game. And what we need to realize when we're looking at this situation is the fact that Masoli likely isn't going to be back in 2022 on the field and his career is in jeopardy. And he's made a bunch of comments on Twitter, Masoli, that is, obviously upset and angry because he sees the potential of 500,000 plus dollars going by the wayside from one hit. So a lot of people have looked at Masoli's comments and I think not quite understood where he's coming from. You got to put yourself in that situation that if your career was on the line and that amount of cash was there for you to potentially lose if the Red Blacks decide to go in a different direction at quarterback or if he can't heal from the broken fibula that he has, then you can see where this angst and this anger and this reflection on this dirty hit come from, from Masoli's perspective and his family's as well. We've seen his mother and his sister also voice their concerns on Twitter. Now, on the other side of it, you have to understand that from the CFLPA's perspective, there are two players, right? So there's two members of the association and the PA could have tried to get a lesser suspension for Marino. They did not, and the suspension is handed down from the league office. So I think there were a lot of people thinking, well, the CFLPA can discipline Marino, but you got to understand he's a member of the PA, and the discipline comes from the league office. So if there's any anger in terms of people wanting the suspension to have been longer 
that needs to be directed, quite honestly, at Commissioner Randy Ambrosi and the league office because they're the ones that hand down the suspension and the PA ultimately agreed with it because they did not try to grieve it and get it down like they've done with so many other ones in the past. So multiple angles that I don't think have necessarily been talked about but are critical when we're examining the situation. I mean, it was clear listening to the comments from Garrett Marino, and I was I was in on a Zoom call last year when he was when he was interviewed. Garrett Marino is not a wordsmith; he will not be invited to write for Three Down Nation anytime soon. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's and that's not a reflection of of anything other than just his ability to string a sentence together. He was obviously not comfortable speaking to the media. Uh, I know he's turned down many media requests over the last year, even leading up to this incident. Though he also told the media that first he was not nervous speaking to them, and he also said that he had not prepared to speak to them in any in any special way, both of which I think were also lies. In addition to some of the things that he said, to me it did not ring out that that Garrett Marino was actually regretful that Jeremiah Masoli got hurt. I think he was just regretful that he got caught and was forced to be suspended for a month. I think that is where the regret was for Garrett Marino. And if you need any evidence for that, again, look at the fact that he has yet to apologize to Jeremiah Masoli. He did indicate that during his celebration, he was unaware that Jeremiah Masoli was hurt. You maybe give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in that, but but when you're walking off the field like that and the quarterback is writhing in pain on the ground for multiple minutes, you know, I, I don't think that it takes a genius to look around and say, oh, I think that quarterback is hurt. So to me, I was not impressed whatsoever with Garrett Marino's comments, and it does not change the way that I feel about this particular incident. Yeah, but Hodge, he couldn't hear Mazzoli screaming because he was too busy shouting racial slurs. <laughs> Argos running back Andrew Harris underwent an MRI this week that revealed he has a torn pectoral muscle. He's supposed to miss the next four weeks four to six weeks, and possibly the rest of the season if surgery is required. Could this be the end of the line for the future Hall of Fame running back? I don't think it's the last time that we've seen Harris on a CFL field, but it is a sign that his body is continuing to break down. Last year, he only played, I believe, it was seven games, which is half that shortened season. And already we're not even halfway through the Argos schedule and he's going to be out for potentially the entire season. So he's got a lot of carries and yards and miles on his body. And I'm not even going to get into the performance enhancing drugs aspect of this because that's a whole other can of worms that people can talk about and how it takes a toll on your body. But it's clear that his body's breaking down, whether he wants to admit that or not. And it's going to be difficult for Harris to go through because he's used to playing at a high level and has done so for a number of years, well beyond the usual timeline for an elite running back. So I think that's the case here. I do think we could see him back on the field just because Toronto was so high on him. They made him the highest paid running back in the entire CFL when they signed him. Michael Pinball Clemens called him the best running back in the CFL. And I still think that's the case when he's on the field. He's shown flashes of that and ran the rock really well, but that was part of the issue. And one of the reasons why Winnipeg let him go is because they didn't believe that 
he could make it through an entire season. And they weren't sure based on what he did in 2021 that he was committed to doing so with his regimen and working out off the field. So I think a combination of those factors have led to this injury, but more so it's the miles on his body. Yeah, I understand that Harris is trying to get a second opinion. There is a tear in the pectoral. From what I understand, and I'm, of course, not a medical expert, but from the people I've talked to about this, they have indicated that any type of tear should require surgery. And the only reason Andrew Harris hasn't already undergone surgery or at least booked a surgery date is just to try to see if there's any way that he can come back. And we know that there have been players who have played through unbelievable injuries in the past, right? Chris Streveler was probably the most notable recent player to do so. He played in the Grey Cup uh, Grey Cup playoffs in 2019 with a busted foot. So is it possible that Andrew Harris is back? I suppose. Maybe you give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, just given his history of longevity and how tough we know that he is. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm very skeptical that we will see Andrew Harris back this season. And though for the reasons Dunk laid out, it's possible we see him back in 2023. I do think that there is a chance that we've seen Andrew Harris take his final snap in the CFL, which frankly would be a shame. It'd be a shame if this is how the Hall of Fame running back went out. But players don't often get the storybook ending. 99 times out of 100, a career ends very unceremoniously And this would be no exception if Harris is indeed out, not just for this season, but out for the rest of his career. I feel like Harris is the type of guy who will try and force a comeback no matter what, whether it is this season or next season. So I don't know if we've seen the end of him necessarily, but I like the situation that the Toronto Argonauts are actually in in his absence. I don't think they're going to be hurt as much as people think they are by losing Andrew Harris. They didn't need him ratio-wise necessarily. They're starting more Canadians than they have to. And I really like their backfield with A.J. Ouellette and Daniel Adeboboye. Uh The American Ouellette is a guy I have liked in sort of a, 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 a bit role for a, a long time. I think he's physical. I think he's got a little bit of speed as well. He was really good in college at the University of Ohio. And I think he has the potential to be a starting caliber back in the CFL, but just hasn't had the right circumstance to make it happen at this stage. I hope he takes this opportunity with the Argos and runs with it because I really like his potential. But also Agaboboye is a guy as a rookie who I hope sees some carries down the line as well and can and can flash as well. Ultimately, for all the yards that Andrew Harris did put up, it was in certain games, right? There was a, a big game here, a big game there, and then there were stretches where he was largely ineffective. And some of that goes to the injuries that the Argos have had along the offensive line. I mean, they were missing both of their starting tackles for a stretch there. Uh, so that's not all on Harris. Um, but I don't know if there's going to be this huge drop up in drop off in production that everyone seems to imagine is going to happen now that he's out with injury. I think the Argos are going to be just fine. 
The leadership aspect, I think, is something that could take a hit. McLeod Bethel-Thompson has talked about it multiple times, that he feels like Harris brings a championship mentality and that they let him down earlier in the season, specifically losing that game to his former team, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, at home at BMO Field. So I think that's the one aspect here that is going to hurt this team the most. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers suffered their first loss of the 2022 season, dropping a 2017 overtime game to the Montreal Alouettes. Second-year kicker Mark Leggio missed two relatively short field goals, one of which would have won the game in regulation, and the other would have sent it to a second round of overtime. Should Montreal get the credit for beating Winnipeg, or was this an instance of a superior team playing down to its opponent? Well, I don't think that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers should be held without any accountability. Obviously, the two big mistakes that stand out like sore thumbs are the two Legio misses. Very disappointing from a player who has had a great season up to that point. He's been punting the ball well, entered the game with a 90% success rate, and there was some regression there, which I think was very unfortunate. You also look at you know the fumble late. That Zach Kolaris, you know, he got strip sacked off the edge. You also look at the goal line stand, Donald Rutledge taking the stupid penalty down at the goal line with his pinky finger over the goal line. And and obviously, you know, Winnipeg was not at its best. Tired, dead tired, 10, 10 straight weeks without a bye. That said, I do want to give the Montreal Alouettes credit here because we eviscerated the Alouettes on last week's show. We were highly critical of Danny Machocha and the penalties that his team had taken since he took over. Well, they took five penalties for 60 yards in Winnipeg. Perfect? No, but certainly an improvement. And I think this could be a blueprint for the Alouettes moving forward. Trevor Harris did not do anything flashy, but he played mistake-free football. I've seen so many teams coming to IG Field with that crowd of you know 30,000 plus rip and roar and making all kinds of noise and teams come in guys and they just fold right they make a stupid mistake early they take a sack they throw a pick they put the ball on the turf what have you and they just never recover they can't handle the crowd they can't handle the pressure they can't handle the noise Montreal came in their defensive front seven controlled the line of scrimmage the offense played mistake free football and they got a win in a tough stadium so while the bombers obviously could have been better i do think that montreal deserves legit credit for this win and i also appreciate them making dunk look silly one week after he said the bombers could go 18 and 0 yeah what sort of moron would go on a podcast <laughs> say a team could go 18 and 0 in the cfl wow i wouldn't want to be that guy uh I think that where the credit needs to be directed here with the Montreal Alouettes is their defense. I came away from those two matchups with Winnipeg impressed by the defensive side of the ball uh, under the new leadership of Noel Thorpe there. I thought he dialed up the right packages to contend with Winnipeg's offense, which as we know in the right circumstances can be extremely explosive. He brought a lot of pressure. That defensive line stepped up with the likes of Mike Moore and Michael Wakefield making big time plays, putting Zach Caleros under a ton of play of pressure. And they tremendously outplayed that Winnipeg offensive line, which has been, for the better part of the last half decade, the cream of the crop in the CFL. They made them look like average players, and you can't say that very often. So my hat goes off to the Montreal defense and their defensive line for an outstanding performance, not just in the victory this week, but 
in last week as well, and the fruits of their labor did pay off. I am upset with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for making me look like an idiot, all right? I was so high on you guys. I thought you had the chance to go undefeated, and you go out the very next week and lose to the Montreal Alouettes after you went and slapped them at home at Percival Molson Stadium. And then I'm surprised that you two guys didn't give it to me right off the hop. Hodge gave his whole spiel and then kind of tagged it on the end. JC, I like what you did right off the bat. Let me have it, baby, because I sound like an idiot. I just am so frustrated that Mike O'Shea did not find a way in his special team's bag to punt the football into the end zone and go for that point. I know that Legio hadn't missed a kick up until that point and that he missed that one and the one in overtime and he had a 90% success rate, as Hodge said, coming into the game. But I felt like that would be something maybe to mix it up that O'Shea might pull out. I still do think, actually, kicking the field goal was the smart play because when the game's over, you don't have to worry about kick it in, kick it out if you don't bang a punt way out of the back of the end zone. But I just am really even more upset at this performance from the Blue Bombers because it could have been something that would have gained momentum through the entire season. We talked about it on the show last week. It would have been so epic for those last two games of the season where the teams play back-to-back, BC and Winnipeg, to have dueling records of potentially the Lions only having one loss and Winnipeg having zero, but they had to go out and lose to Montreal. That was certainly the recipe, though, as Hodge alluded to, mistake-free football. Danny Machocha and his team were much more disciplined. We should say that as well. And they're certainly playing with passion on defense. Mike Moore has been a beast in making all kinds of plays for that defense under Thorpe, the defensive coordinator. And if they play that kind of football, well, there's a chance that they could win the East, to be quite honest. It's just crazy how things have gone so differently this season from week to week in the CFL, especially that East division just seems like it's so much up for grabs. But the Blue Bombers, I got a bone pick with you guys. You could have really took a shot at history, but instead you make me look like an idiot with egg on my face. I'll wear it. That's fine. I understand it. Those are the risks. But Hodge, you and JC were right. I got you off your 0% chance. You moved it up to 0.1, I believe. You were right. (laughs) JC, you were right. Kudos, boys. The reason I didn't open it with Dunk is because I wanted to lull you to a false sense of security so it hurt even more <laughs> when it came. So that's that that was that was my strategy. The other thing I'll say, we talked about Mike Moore a little bit already, but I can't remember. Like let's remember he's played DT his whole career. He's now moved out to the end. I can't remember the last time a defensive end in the CFL weighed two hundred and seventy pounds, but it hasn't hurt him. He's coming off that edge on the bend. And he's given offensive tackles fits. Sixth time, Pro Bowl receiver Chad Johnson appeared on the Stacking the Box podcast and said he came to the CFL in 2014, believing it would be a breeze. Turns out he was wrong, saying, quote, the CFL was really very surprising because everybody was good. Close quote. He went on to say that CFL players he played with and against were good enough to be playing in the NFL. Do Johnson's comments ring true? Of course they do. I mean, anyone who covers this league or who watches it continually knows this for a fact. There is very little that separates the average NFL player from the average CFL player. Now, don't get me wrong. There are elite athletes in the NFL that you won't find anywhere else. The cream of the crop. 
the guys that are in the top you know, 10 on any NFL roster, those elite players who are athletic freaks. Those guys are in a league unto themselves. But just about everyone else on a 53-man roster on the in the NFL is a situational player, a guy that needs his opportunities, that needs the right system, that's struggling to stay on a roster. Those guys get the wrong breaks, gets get put in the wrong situation early, they end up in the CFL with pretty consistent regularity. And there's a lot of transfer back and forth between the two leagues. And there's some guys that are better suited to the NFL game based on body type or skill set. And there's some guys who aren't as well suited for the NFL game, can't quite, quite catch on. And they come to the CFL game and they're perfectly suited for it and they can blossom because of it. But for the bulk of both these rosters, these are players that are you know dominant in their college careers wherever they play. The top level at you know in their high school team, at their college team, guys who are stars, once you get to the NFL, everyone's a star. It becomes difficult to catch on. Same thing in the CFL. So there's a lot more parity than I think the casual football viewer realizes. It's a numbers game, largely, in the NFL. There's only so many players that can make a 53-man roster, and if there's injuries, those guys obviously go on injured reserve, and they have the expanded practice rosters now. But a lot of times it comes down to numbers, and there's so many good football players especially being developed year after year after year in the states through the NCAA, and there's more command of Canada, but just not the sheer number. So I think that's first and foremost, right? There's just not enough teams out there to have these good players that Chad Johnson is alluding to. And a lot of times it comes down to what JC kind of was getting at. The scheme, the fit, if a coach likes somebody, the politics is real in the NFL. A guy that JC talked about not too long ago on the podcast, Danny Etling, who was on the practice roster for the BC Lions, has been on the roster of the Seattle Seahawks for the last year. Like Those are just some of the weird things that happen, and JC's spot on. You're never going to see Aaron Donald in the CFL. An athletic freak like that is not going to be up here. That said, if somebody happens to fall through the cracks like a Cam Wake and they make their way down to the NFL, they show you that, yeah, they can dominate in the CFL, but they can also be pretty darn good in the NFL as well. And I think that's exactly what Johnson is getting at. So getting back to the numbers, there's only 32 NFL teams right now. I'm sure they would like to expand globally, you know, Mexico, Germany. There's some talk about Canada, although I don't think that's necessarily realistic in the near future. But you only got 32 teams. And after that, guys want to get reps. And the CFL is the only other league that you can count on to play football yearly because we've seen some of these other leagues pop up i'm not even going to go into that because i don't want to hear about it on twitter but if you don't make the nfl you're going to come to the cfl so you can get some fresh film and hopefully get that opportunity down south and we've seen a number of guys do it over the years nathan work is a perfect example canadian american whatever he is had a great career at ohio university stuffed the stat sheet but couldn't get a real look as a quarterback. Now he's up here on record pace in a number of categories, as we well know. And all of a sudden, NFL talent evaluators are looking at Rourke as a quarterback. So you can change your perspective 
on a player or the player can come up here and change the perspective on themselves with that opportunity. I think that's what Johnson and a lot of other guys over the years didn't understand. Johnny Manziel was famous for it. He felt like he was going to come up here and light the league on fire. That didn't exactly happen looking at his win-loss record and his touchdown-to-interception ratio. Yeah, the one thing I want to say is when Chad Johnson came up, granted he was a six-time Pro Bowler, four-time all pro and and could be a hall of famer he's kind of on the cusp of you know is he going to be and is he going to be out you know it's possible if he isn't it'll probably take a while but most american players come up to the cfl regardless of their success down south with literally the exact same attitude as chad johnson i've never once heard a player speak publicly before during or after their career in the cfl and say anything to the effect of, yeah, I thought the CFL was going to be a low-level football, and it was. I've literally only ever heard players say what Chad Johnson said, which is, I thought I was going to go and dominate, and I showed up, and those guys are ballers. I've only ever heard that. Milt Stiegel is probably the most prominent person who's spoken out about it, saying, yeah, I thought I was going to go up for one year, dominate, be right back down south. As we know, he did dominate in the CFL, but he was not a dominant receiver the first couple years of his career. Yes, he was a Hall of Famer, but he didn't become a Hall of Famer because the CFL was a lousy, talented, uh, or untalented group of players. He became a Hall of Famer because, let's be honest, he should have been in the NFL the whole time. And the one thing that I do want to add to this conversation before we move on is you guys both know we've covered this league for a long time. There are players that come from the CFL and get NFL opportunities that are not dominant CFL players that, you know, play a game here or there who have certain traits that the NFL might like, but didn't blossom into all-stars in the CFL who go to the NFL, get an opportunity and then become real players down there. And on that note, former CFL quarterback Chris Strevler got into New York's first preseason game this week and completed six of nine passes for 62 yards and two touchdowns to lead the New York Jets to a 24-21 to victory. What are his chances of cracking the team's 53-man roster? They've gone up since that game with his play, but more to the fact that Zach Wilson, the second overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft, suffered a knee injury, a bone bruise and meniscus tear. He's now undergone surgery. And even though it went well and there was nothing else wrong with the knee when Dr. Neil Alatrosh was in there, the same guy that did the operation and has helped Bolivai Mitchell with his shoulder, same doctor, I should say, that went well, but it's going to put Wilson on the shelf right now for what seems to be like an undetermined amount of time. And they're not going to put him back out on the field until he's 100%, them being the Jets. So in my mind, and I think especially in the Jets' mind, that raises the opportunity for Strevler to potentially make the 53-man roster or at least be on the practice squad. And he got a shout-out from Robert Sala. I hope I'm saying that name right, but the head coach for the Jets after the game. Like, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen if you're not gaining respect from the head coach himself 
and the coaching staff and the rest of the players. Strebler broke the team down in the locker room after leading that comeback win in impressive fashion. And some people will say, well, yeah, it was against back end of the roster players and guys who won't even be making rosters. But it doesn't matter who you're lining up against. you got to go out there and compete. And Strebler showed to me, albeit in limited action, just nine pass attempts, that he looked more comfortable in the pocket, especially that game-winning touchdown pass to, I believe it was Calvin Jackson in the back of the end zone, was an impressive throw. It was in rhythm. He anticipated, put it on the spot, and we saw what he can do running the football as well. He had two carries for 31 yards, including a long one down the right sideline. So we know he has that, that athletic ability, and that's something that they liked about Strevler when they signed him is he's similar to Wilson. Now, Joe Flacco would be the starter if Wilson can't start the season. That almost seems like an inevitability now. And Mike White is a guy who started games for the Jets last year, but you've got to be deep at the quarterback position, especially if your franchise guy is hurt. So I think Strevler's chances of making the roster have gone up due to his play and the injury that Wilson suffered. Yeah, to me, Chris Treveller has always been an NFL caliber player. I know, JC, you're taking pot shots because he wasn't necessarily <laughs> an effective starter. To me, Chris Treveller is probably not a top 10 quarterback in the CFL, but he might be a top 10 talent, if that makes sense. To me, Chris Treveller's value is not as a dropback passer. It is as an unbelievable athlete who can run through you, over you, around you, catch passes out of the backfield, and do just about anything, right? He He's arguably the most versatile player we've seen in the CFL in the last 20 years and one of the most explosive athletes at a solid size as well. So to me, I'm not, as an NFL team, bringing in Chris Treveller and having him as my third quarterback because he's going to go in there and and run the package like a, a Jamie's Winston might or, or any other pocket quarterback might. I'm bringing him in to be my third guy because of all the crazy things that he can do and we can employ to give opposing defenses fits or at the very least force opposing defenses to prepare for once they're on film. So I think the Jets would be very smart to hold on to Chris Streveler. Again, I'm not suggesting he should be the starter, but I think there's a lot of value in him being a utility guy, a versatile guy who can hurt opposing teams in a wide number of ways. It's a fair point, Hodge, but I'm going to argue with you a little bit on the value aspect. As cool as that is, as nice as it is to to have a versatile player like that, I think from a value perspective, from from a wins perspective, it doesn't add a whole lot. We've seen the, the New Orleans Saints do this for a number of years with Taysom Hill, and they think he's incredibly valuable, but if you talk to people who are in the football analytics community and things like that, Taysom Hill doesn't add a whole lot by all those extra things that he does because, you know, if you've got a guy who's a quarterback who can also play receiver, you know what's better than a quarterback that can play receiver? A receiver. They'll give you more yards than that quarterback. So sometimes that gimmick can be really impressive because we know what a guy is otherwise, but someone doing who's designed to do that position specifically gives you more value in that situation. Now, that said, I think Chris Streveler outplayed Mike, Mike White in that preseason game. Obviously, very small sample size, and Mike White has started NFL games before, so he's going to get the benefit of the doubt, I think, in New York. But certainly, he's increased his stock 
a lot with that performance and the situation around him. One more thing I'll touch on quickly before the, the, the three-minute drill is we talked about players going from the CFL to the NFL, right, and making that jump. Well, Chris Streveler acknowledged to the media in New York that he, ahead of that preseason game, had received essentially no reps in practice. And so on the one hand, you know, it's easy for CFL haters to say, look, you know, like this, this many CFL guys got signed and so few of them stuck with NFL teams. Well, Dunk talked about the politics, right? If you're getting no reps in practice, how are you supposed to earn your spot? The only way to do it is to make plays in the preseason. Well, how did Chris Streveler make plays in the preseason? Somebody got hurt, right? If Zach Wilson stays healthy, there's no guarantee he even sees the field. So this is a perfect example of a guy who's made an impact because he got a chance, but so many guys don't even get a chance. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2019, Ottawa Red Blacks kicker Lewis Ward missed a 34-yard field goal, ending his streak of consecutive successful kicks at 69. The previous professional football record was held by NFL legend Adam Vinatieri at 45. Ward was named the CFL's most outstanding special teams player and most outstanding rookie in 2018, as well as a league all-star. The Ottawa product has set a CFL record for single-season field goal accuracy after that year, connecting on 51 of 52 attempts for 98.1%. Boys, if you had to pick a kicker to make the last-second field goal for the win, who would you pick? Would it be Ward or someone else? For me, it's not going to be Ward if it's a kick outside of 50 yards. As accurate as he is, if if I'm in that 45 in, I'm taking Ward every time. I think he's been incredibly accurate. I don't know if he has the biggest leg around. And I'll go with a controversial choice here, probably from an accuracy standpoint. But if I am marching down the field and I need a field goal to win, the guy I want on my roster is Brett Lawther. And that's simply because he's got the biggest leg. If I can't get down the field, if I need to attempt a 57-yard field goal, well, I think Brett Lawther's just about the only player in the CFL who's got a big enough leg to give me a shot at that field goal. So that's the guy I'm going to want in my corner uh, in that situation. 45 and in, I'm going with Renee Paradez. That's a simple one for me. He's been in so many situations and come up huge a bunch of times for that roster but if we're going outside of 50 like there's not too many guys that can bang them through and I guess if we're talking about recent or current kickers I would struggle to find one to be quite honest that's consistent from that distance in this league for me if if it's over 70 yards I'm taking Boris Beatty because I still think he could do it there's only a 50% chance of it going in, but there's also only about a 50% chance of it going in from like 35 with Boris Beatty. That's just how he rolls. I also yeah, noticed neither of you guys took Mark Leggio. Maybe that's not a surprise. Yeah. After last week. <laughs> Anyways. I, I, I'd make it. him punt the single. Let's, I'd make him punt the single. Let's do the three-minute drill. Here we go. Hey, Tigers receiver Braylon Addison revealed that he suffered a ruptured Achilles tendon ending his season. How big of a blow is that for the Ticats? I don't think the Ticats have had the best weapons in the CFL this season. That is a big loss. The Red Blacks released former former fourth-round pick Jacob Zott. Is that a surprise? A little bit of a surprise from a talent perspective. I really liked Jacob Zott coming out. I hope he finds a new landing spot. But from the way that roster has been constructed and all the offensive line talent they added in this last year's draft, 
I think Zot was inevitably going to be on the way out. Bo Levi Mitchell is now Calgary, the Calgary Stampeders all-time leaguing passer, surpassing Henry Burris early in this past week's game. Is Bo the best quarterback in team history? If we're talking most talented, no, that will go to Doug Flutie. But for longevity, it's going to be Bole Van Mitchell. Multiple great cups, multiple MOPs, the franchise leading passer. That makes Mitchell the best quarterback in terms of career long records and statistics to play for the stands. Beloved sideline reporter Sarah Orleski is leaving the CFL on TSN for a new job with the Winnipeg Jets. She indicated on her Twitter account that her final game will be the Banjo Bowl. How will you remember her tenure covering the CFL? I'll remember it very fondly. This is a total cliche, but I'm going to say it here because it fits. Sarah Orleski is a great reporter and an even better person. I will absolutely miss her on the CFL beat. The Montreal Alouettes have signed defensive back Raheem Wilson after he was cut by the Stampeders. Is that a good addition? I think it's a fantastic addition by the Alouettes. Raheem Wilson was a player who wasn't cut for a poor performance or because he wasn't good enough to be on the Stampeders. Just sort of a numbers game with some of the young players they had in. He can be successful with the Alouettes on the back end. Fired Montreal Alouettes defensive coordinator Baron Miles has been hired as the defensive coordinator at Bishop's University. Is that a smart hire? Yes, it is for Bishop's, and it's great to see a name coach like that, a recognizable guy in Baron Miles, come to use sports football. The Philadelphia Wings of the National Lacrosse League have started using Winnipeg's hashtag for the W. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right, Hodge? Imitation, yes. Blatant theft? That might be another thing. We'll see. <laughs> the Miami Dolphins waved Devontae Dedman, who is the CFL's reigning most outstanding special teams player. Could we see him rejoin the Red Blacks anytime soon? I think it's a real possibility. Now he's going to wait out and see if there's other opportunities that come up in NFL training camps with injuries. But Devontae Dedman is a guy who is not necessarily ideally sized for the NFL, and that will be held against him, I think, regardless of where he goes. And the NFL return game, as we know, is not as important as it once was. So I think the better fit for his, him is back in the CFL regardless. The Chicago Bears waived Canadian tight end Bryson John this week. Was that a surprise? It wasn't really to mean at this point in his career. He's just trying to even stick on a practice squad, so hopefully he gets another NFL shot. The Riders release much maligned offensive tackle and Ty Rogers. Will that help solve their offensive line woes? I don't think it can hurt, but if they didn't start Jamal Campbell for the first nine games of the season, I'm curious as to how Campbell has looked in practice because... I thought Campbell was solid with the Toronto Argonauts last year, but they they, they started Rodgers over him nine times. What's up with Campbell? I want to know. If Campbell plays great this week, then shame on the Riders for not starting him sooner. Final one, the city of North Bay, Ontario, dedicated the football field at Steam O'Michel Sports Field Complex in honor of Mike O'Shea, who was born and raised in North Bay. How cool is that? It's absolutely fantastic, and that's one of the things 
I love about the CFL, the ratio makes this possible. You go to just about every small town or community across this country, there's going to be somebody from that town who's made their way into the CFL at some point. Now, most towns can't claim someone as legendary as Mike O'Shea, both as a player or as a coach. But when you have one of those guys, you better find a way to honor him in some way. That does it for this edition of the Three Down Nation podcast. Be sure to tune in next week.